Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be back in the book of John, chapter 11. Last week, if you remember, I began my message by asking the question, have you ever been in a situation where you needed somebody to come through for you, you were depending on someone to do something for you that only they could do, and they didn't come through? And then I asked, what about when that person that you need to come through for you, what about when that person is God? When you feel like God has let you down when you needed him in your mind to do something. And as we continue to move forward in the message, I basically said that whenever we feel that God has let us down, often it's because our definition of love is not aligning with his definition of love. Our definition of love usually says, give me what I want when I want it, how I want it. And if you don't do that, then it means you don't love me. That's usually man's definition for love, but that's not what God's definition for love is. And if you remember, in the beginning of chapter 11, the chapter that we're going to be in this morning, it begins by telling us a story or a true story about Jesus and a family that he loves, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And it says that Jesus loved them. They lo- he loved them so much that when he found out that Lazarus was sick, he showed his love by staying where he was for two more days. In other words, Jesus showed his love to Lazarus, to Mary, and to Martha by allowing Lazarus to die. And humanly speaking, that, that makes us go, is that love? And it's because of our definition, when we call on God and he doesn't answer us, often we can be tempted to think that he is not loving us. But in verse 4, it says that the reason that this sickness was allowed was for the glory of God. Jesus said, I'm allowing this sickness so that God can be glorified, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Again, God allowed Lazarus to die so that he could be glorified through him. And you know, that's love. Because love gives us what we need most. And what we need more than anything, as I've said already this morning, is to see and to experience God in his glory. And so with this in mind, we're going to, move forward in our passage. We're going to start back at verse 17 if you have your Bibles. And if you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, did you know that there's people that need to take notes, that love to take notes, and they need points? They need three points. And if you don't give those three points, they'll let you know. (laughs) Do we got any point people in here? Just raise your hand. Okay. Good news. Good news, Marvin. I got three points, all right? So if we are going to see and experience the glory of God, point number one is that we need to beware 
of the past. We need to beware of the past. Let's look at verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So we're at a point in this passage where Jesus has finally gone to Bethany to see Lazarus. He finds that he's dead. And what's important to understand here is that it says that many of the Jews had come to console the family. There's a great crowd there. And it's important to understand this because Bethany was one of those cities that if you're going to Jerusalem, you had to pass by Bethany. And Jesus is about to do a miracle or what John calls a sign in front of hundreds of people so that there's no question of whether or not Jesus is who he says he is. And this sign is going to shake up Bethany, and everyone that passes by is going to hear about it because in a few, in, in a few weeks, they're going to be celebrating the Passover in Jerusalem, and Jesus is going to be crucified. And this is Jesus' final miracle, his final sign, his capstone to all of his miracles that say, I am God, I am the Son of God, I am the Messiah that was prophesied. And when these people pass by, they're going to get wet by the splash of what happens in the tomb, and they're going to carry this wetness into Jerusalem, and this is going to get spread all through the city, and Jesus is going to get crucified because of this. And in verse 20, it says, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Last week, we talked about what was going on in Martha's heart. Basically, she's saying, Lord, where were you when I needed you? Basically, Jesus's love is being questioned here. There is some doubt in Martha. You know, notice that when Jesus comes and she comes to Jesus, she doesn't say, Jesus, praise God you're here. Now I know everything is going to be all right. That's not what she says. She goes, if you had been here, everything would have been all right. I think the problem that Martha has right now is that she's fixated on the past. She's looking back, and right in front of her stands Jesus. Don't you hate it when that happens? Don't you hate it when you get stuck in the past? That happens in my life so many times. You know, when, when I've got this movie playing in my head that tells me how my happily ever after should be, and when I get to that scene, it's not what I thought it was going to be. You ever been there? I hate it when that happens, and you get kind of like locked in. You get captured and in a prison, and, and that prison can often be uh, filled with shame and regret, and there's always this guard standing at the door, and he has an iPhone, and he's playing the same song over and over on Spotify or Apple Music. 
He's got it on replay. Y'all know what that song is? It's If Only. If only. Y'all ever heard that song? Think about it. If only I hadn't gone there. Or if only I had gone there. That's what we say in the past, right? Man, if only I had listened to mom and dad. Or if only I hadn't listened to my friends. If only I hadn't said that. Come on, y'all. If only I hadn't said that. And when you're mad and you walk away, if only I had said that. (laughs) But that's probably best you didn't. But there's something in the past when you look back and you can't do anything about it. It drives drives you crazy, doesn't it? It can weigh you down. It can be with you all day long. And I remember when I was in high school. I don't know if I told you all this, but I played football back in high school. I don't like to talk about it but I'm going to. But there was a, uh, my junior year, it was the first game of the year, we traveled to Brevard High School. Anybody from Brevard High School? Uh-oh, we got two in the back there. All right, this is back in the 80s, so you guys weren't even born back then, I don't think. <laughs> uh, junior year, playing linebacker. We were winning the game 14-7. to 7. Clock's ticking out. Brevard's got the ball. They're marching down the field. And it's like 10 seconds left, Right? They, they run a play. They have no timeouts left. And I had been trained or practiced. I remember practicing. You watch the tailback. When you see him come out, they're going to pass it to him. Well, the tailback comes, comes out. They're going to pass it to him. Guess who's on him? Me. I'm on him. I'm reading it perfectly. I'm telling you, it was perfect. The ball goes up. I look at it. I see glory. Because I'm going to knock that ball down, Right? No, right over. Hmm. That's why I didn't play in the NFL, guys. That's the reason. The dude catches the ball, runs into the end zone for a touchdown. Score is 14 to 13. They go for two. (laughs) Yeah, they got it. Okay, so the game ain't over. Four se- There's still four seconds left. <laughs> so they line up for a, a, a squib kick, and I line up on the front there, and they kick it, right? And I'm like, it comes to me. They've got their whole team over here, and it's open on this side. I can't get the ball. <laughs> mm, but I'm over it. I'm over it. That's in the past. But I'm telling you, I remember the coach after the game saying, man, if you had only let him catch the ball and then tackled him, the game would have been over. I was like, thanks, coach. I still remember this 30-some years later that I should have tackled him, and I didn't. If only, if only I had tackled him. If only I hadn't had my defensive gloves on when they kicked off. See, that's why I didn't get it. I had my defensive gloves on. We still could have won the game. But it doesn't bother me anymore. The point that I'm making, I shouldn't have told that story. Leslie Casella is never going to let me live that one down. 
But, you know, I can't go back. I can't do anything about that. How many of you guys have sports memories like that that just haunt, haunt you? Oh, my God. They're horrible. Um, but I think that that's kind of what Martha was feeling. If only. If only you had been here, Lord. I think she's tormented by that. Why wasn't he here? But then in verse 22, she says, but even now, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And you know, I don't know why she said that. Because when you, when you look at that, it sounds like she actually thinks Jesus is about to raise him from the dead. And Jesus says in verse 23, your brother will rise again. What is he saying here? He's saying, okay, I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead right now. That's what he's about to do right before her eyes. But we know that Martha doesn't get it because in verse 24, look what it says in verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's not thinking that Jesus, she doesn't hear what Jesus is saying. She thinks he's talking about the future. And, and you know, I want to point out something here. Notice that Martha is mourning because of death. That, that, that's a natural response. We should be able to mourn. She misses her brother, and her desire is that she wants him back. I think most of us can relate to that. We've lost someone that, man, if you could just come back for just five minutes so I could just talk to you for just a second, just to let you know I love you, I miss you. That's very understandable. But in verse 23, Jesus gives her gospel. He gives her good news. He says, your brother will rise again right now. That's what's implied. Right now, your brother's going to rise again, but she totally misses it. And the question I want to ask is why? Why does Martha miss the good news here? Well, I think there's two reasons. I don't think this is all of them, but I think one of them is because, number one, hurting people often can't hear. Hurting people often cannot hear. And sometimes, church, we need to realize that when we try to speak truth to someone who's in pain, sometimes if we don't have that relationship with them, we're going to actually cause more damage than good. We, we try to speak into each other's lives without having taken the time to build relationships. Now listen up, Reach Life Church. Tim kind of touched on this earlier about MCs. If we are going to grow as a church, we have to be here on Sunday mornings. We need to be together. But we also need to be together outside of this context. There is something that goes on outside of this context that allows us to get to know each other in different ways. We need to be able to open our homes to one another. When was, and I'm not talking to anybody in here. I'm talking to everybody. Listen, when was the last time you invited someone over to have dinner, just to hang out? When was the last time that you went out to eat with someone or, or, or went over to help somebody do something? That may have been just recently, and that's good. That's how we build relationships with one another. But we need to share our resources, our homes, our dinner tables, our lives with one another because that's often what someone who is struggling really needs. 
And just a few of us can't do all of it, right? But if we all work together, all of us will be cared for. And sometimes those who are in pain, they need to be heard before they will be able to hear. They need to know that they're being heard. So I think that that's one reason. And I'm not saying that Jesus has given her these facts without relationship. He definitely has relationship. But I am warning us, don't let that be all that we give. We do need to give the word of God to one another, but don't let that be all. Number two, I think that Martha is missing it because she is so fixated on what she wanted. She is so fixated on what she believed that Jesus should have done for her. And it didn't happen. And now she's in danger of missing what's about to happen. We have to be aware of the past. Beware of the past. Beware of past failures and beware of past successes because they have a way of keeping us from wanting to move forward in our journey, in our walk of faith with the Lord. I want to show you what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.13 concerning this. Paul finished a very successful ministry, and he says in um, Philippians 3, verse 13, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I have not arrived. I'm not perfect yet. And he says this, but one thing I do. You see that? But one thing I do. What is the one thing he does? Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean, listen, it doesn't mean that we never look back to the past. Sometimes it is helpful to understand our past in order to move forward. But we got to be careful that when we go to our past that we don't pitch a tent there. We don't build a house there. We don't dwell there. We should go back there from time to time and sing that wonderful song, look where he brought me from, right? Look where... When you go back, it should be to glorify God. Look what he has done. Look where I was. Look where I'm now. Look what he's done. Glory to God. We need to be able to look back and and bring glory to God and to be encouraged to move forward because of God's faithfulness. We need to keep experiencing the freshness of Jesus. And there's freshness in in the past, that needs to be remembered so that we can enjoy the freshness of right now. Don't miss Jesus right now. So if if we're going to be able to experience the glory of God in our lives, we must, number one, beware of the past, and number two, beware of the future. Beware of the future. Just as we need to avoid getting trapped in the past, there is danger of getting caught up in the future, in what has not happened yet. Let's look at verse 23 together. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Such good news. Verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Again, Martha 
is missing it. But this time, instead of looking in the past, she's looking to the future. She's looking to the last day. What is the last day? Well, most first century Orthodox Jews believe that there would be on the last day, there would be what is called a resurrection of the dead. Good and evil would be resurrected and stand in front of God for judgment. And, you know, Jesus believed this too. We know that he believed this because in John 5, 28 and 29, he says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The Apostle Paul believed this also because in 2 Corinthians 5.10, he says, for we must all, we must all, are you listening? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. My question to you this morning, do you believe that? Do you believe that? You know how you know if you believe it? How I know if I believe it? My life shows it. My life shows it by the way that I live my life. Do you believe, do you realize that Jesus, and he's either telling the truth or he's a liar or a lunatic? He's saying that one day, if we all die 100 years from now, one day at some point, he's going to call each one of our names and we're going to come out of, the, of our graves. Does that excite you? I hope it does. That means that you're in Christ, that your sins have been forgiven, that you believe that what he has said. And he said that when he calls us out, we are going to be judged according to what Paul said, whether good or evil. And I think that the problem with Martha is not that she believes in a resurrection, the problem is, is that she is skipping over the present, the one that's right in front of her, and saying, you know, one day, one day I'll be happy again. One day things will be good again. And please don't misunderstand me because the Word of God does teach that our hearts need to be set on the things above. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We need to have a heavenly perspective as we're living our earthly lives. Our hearts and minds do need to be directed toward heaven. We're to be pressing forward towards that prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But I don't think that that's what Martha is doing right here. Jesus is, listen, Jesus is seeking to give her hope right now, right then. But she thinks that he's talking about something out there in the future. Listen, is there something that you're seeking, that, you know, that you're wishing you were at? You're like, if I can just get there, it'll be good. If I can just get past this sermon, I know there's a game at home <laughs> with chips and dip, right? And I'll be chilling. I've never thought that, but I could just feel it coming off of you guys. You know, I know I can, I can be like this, trying to live in the future, trying to live 
in the future. It's like, man, everything will be good if I can just get past today. If I can just make it to Christmas. Man, how many of you guys love Christmas music? Do you realize that music, that music's about to come on in about a less than a month or a month in my home? If I can just get there. Or how about when I was in college? If I can just get to next semester, it means I passed this semester. If I can just get to there. Or parents who have little kids, man, if I can just get them out of diapers, get past those exploding diapers, man, right? And then it's, it's always if, if, if only. It's always something in the future. I will praise God once this happens. I'll be at peace when this happens. And it's kind of like uh, stacking dominoes. Have you ever built a dominoes table, a building, and then someone just bumps it? It's like you're building it. If this, okay, this, this. And then someone just bumps it and knocks it all down. Oh, man. Looking for something in the future, and it doesn't happen. The thing that you were hoping for doesn't happen and your dominoes come tumbling down. And if we're not careful, we will never live in the present. We will always be grieving about the past, or we'll be looking for something in the future that may never come. And eventually, an unfulfilled future leaves us with an unfulfilled past. So if you're going, you and I are going to see and experience the glory of God in our lives. Number one, we need to beware of living in the past. Number two, we need to beware of living in the future. And number three, we need to be where Jesus is. Come on, y'all. I worked hard on that one. That's what they teach you to do. Right, point takers? Kelly Hollifield, is that a good point? All right. Well, you know, Jesus is in the past. And Jesus is in the future. Right? Amen? Where are you at? You're in the present. You're not in the past. And you are not in the future. You are in the present. And so is Jesus. We can't go back, and every time you touch the future, it's the present. We can never live in the future. We're always living in the present, and that's where Jesus wants us to live. He wants you right now in this room, right now, to be present in this room. And in verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the, in the resurrection of the last day. She's going to the future. Remember, Martha starts with the past. Where were you? Then she goes to the future. I know it's going to happen then. But Jesus brings her back in verse 25 to the present. He said to her, and this is one of the most astounding statements that Jesus ever spoke. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, uh, Martha said, I'm waiting for the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says something. 
That's amazing. He says, do you believe this? And that's the question I want to ask us this morning. Do you believe this? What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, Martha, you're looking at the past, wishing I had done it your way. And your hope is in an event, in a resurrection. But don't miss it. I am that event. I am the resurrection and the life right now. Right now. You don't need to wait any longer. Not I was the resurrection. Not I will be the resurrection, although he will resurrect us. But I am presently the resurrection and the life right now. Right where you are. Church, do we believe this? And a question I want us to answer is, what does Jesus, what does he desire most? He, amen, Lisa, he, he desires to give us forgiveness. What else does he desire the most? Does he desire when that plate passes by for it to be full? No, not really, because he doesn't, he doesn't need that money. He created the heavens and the earth. What can we give him? What does Jesus desire? He desires to be the center of it all. I want you to think about that. We sang about it this morning, didn't we? Jesus at the center of it all. Nothing else matters. Boy, me and Jesus are alike. I like to be at the center too. Don't you? Don't you? Yeah. At the center of it all. But here's the difference between when I'm at the center and when he's at the center. When I'm at the center, it's death. It's, de- it's ugly at my house when I'm at the center. Right, honey? She said yes, very like that. Because I wasn't made to be worshipped. I was made to worship. Why is it when Jesus is at the center? Why does he want to be at the center? Because when he's at the center, when his glory is coming out and he is worshiped, we all benefit from it. Life comes out. That is why Jesus, that's what Jesus desires the most, to be at the center and that we would believe that that's what's best. That's why he says, Martha, do you believe? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? In verse 27 It says, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. She's struggling with unbelief, but she's not an unbeliever. Disciples, be encouraged about that. We can wrestle and still be believers. Verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. 
Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, look what she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's just like her sister Martha, isn't she? She's struggling. She is wrestling with unbelief. This is a picture of faith and um, unbelief right now. She's falling at his feet, proving that she believes that he is Lord, but she's still struggling. Lord, she's questioning his love for her. Where were you, Lord? Where were you when I needed you to be there for me? And then verse 33 says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then here's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Once again, there's faith and unbelief side by side. Jesus' love, once again, is in question. And this is what it says in verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Now, a question I want us to answer here is why? Why is Jesus deeply moved here? Why is he weeping? I believe that there's two possible answers, or maybe more, but I believe there's two. I believe that it's, it says this because Jesus loved these people. I believe that, that he truly does feel their sorrow. He cares where they're at. And this troubles him. It should show us that, you know, our Savior knows where you're at. Our Savior has feelings. Our Savior, Savior understands. But, secondly here, if you study the, the Greek here for the word deeply moved in verses 33 and 38, you'll see that it does not carry like a sense of gentleness or tenderness that you might would expect it to mean. Like he's not deeply moved like in a, like in a tender way. But the word that's used there in the New Testament describes in other places in the, in the New Testament, it describes how Jesus was when he was rebuking or strongly warning someone. And the word translated greatly troubled carries with it a sense of being greatly disturbed, a sort of a sense of, of sternness. And what very well may be going on with Jesus right now is that he is, he's grieved and he's sorrowful for what's going on, but he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he's Grieved because more than anything, he wants his people to believe in him. Right now, what's the center of this story? Is Jesus the center of this account? No, it's the death is the center, isn't it? Everyone keeps looking at death 
and, and making much of death instead of making much of Christ. And I believe that it could be, and I'm not going to be extremely dogmatic about this, but I think it could be that Jesus is grieved. Believe in me. Martha, do you believe? Reach Life Church, do you believe in me? He wants his people to believe. In verse 39, it says that Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. I love the King James Version. It says, Lord, by this time there will he there will be, he stinketh. I love that. I used to love saying that to my brother. Man, you stinketh. I'm being biblical. By this time, there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? Did I not tell you that if you believed, there it is again, that if you would believe, you'll see my glory. The glory of God. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around and that they may believe, there it is again, that they may believe that you sent me. Oh, that they would believe and come to me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Can you imagine being there? Can you imagine seeing Jesus' glory? Well, we're going to. We're going to see his glory but we don't have to wait. We can see it now if we will put our faith in him. Listen, the things in our past that you can't do anything about, Jesus can be glorified in your past if we'll remember the cross. Because what Jesus did on the cross, what he's about to do in this account in a few days, he is going to do the most glorious thing that has ever been done. He is going to be lifted up and show without a shadow of doubt for anyone who will believe that I love you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care where, what you, where you're going. If you will come to me and believe I have paid for your sins, you will be reconciled with God. You'll be made right with God. I will accept you. That is the most glorious thing. And we've said it before, that someone who was innocent would die for those who hate him so that he can be with them. So he is in our past. That's what the cross does in the past. And whatever's in the future, we don't have to worry about that. Now, we do need to plan and be wise, but don't worry about it. Jesus is going to bring good things from whatever is in the future for our good and his glory. So this morning, where are you? Are you in the past? Are you in the present? Well, let me encourage you. Come to the present and experience Jesus afresh. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.